Thanks so much for listening to the Clifton Church of Christ sermon podcast. We really appreciate you taking the time to listen, and we hope if ever you're in Clifton, Texas, you'll stop by and say hello. We hope you enjoy this sermon. This is our second week in our series going through, it's called God in the Manger, and I I mentioned last time that I've been using a framework of a a book by a theologian called Diedrich, named Diedrich Bonhoeffer, and it's four weeks, and he talks about the coming of Christ with different titles, and this second one is called the titled Mystery. And before I get into it, I it's going to help with the sermon, I promise. I need to conf- I need to confess to y'all. If you didn't know this about me, I am a, a nerdy person, and uh, I will say some people have a different association with the word nerd. But uh, for me, it's a very endearing word because I firmly believe that every single one of us is a nerd, and uh, the people that don't say that they're nerds, they just are too self-conscious to admit to the rest of us what they're nerdy about, okay? Um, I believe that in some form or another, we're all a nerd. I mean, how many of you, when you were a, a kid, you were obsessed with horses, and you just could not get enough of horses? I see the hunts all turned to look at Kendall just now. You know, I think Kendall maybe was a nerd about horses for a little while. Well, the thing that I was a nerd about, you ready? I was a nerd about Lord of the Rings, do y'all know what Lord of the Rings is? It's this mis- you know, mythical world written by J.R.R. Tolkien. By the way, I don't know if you know this, but if you know who C.S. Lewis is, who wrote the Chronicles of Narnia, J.R.R. Tolkien, the author of the Lord of the Rings, converted C.S. Lewis to Christianity. Isn't that interesting? C.S. Lewis was not a Christian, met J.R.R. Tolkien, and Tolkien converted him to become a Christian. Can you imagine what we'd miss if that hadn't happened? Well, anyway... Tolkien, who wrote Lord of the Rings, I loved the Lord of the Rings books. My dad, as a kid, he would read The Hobbit to me growing up. And as I got older, I read the books for myself. But basically, even as a young kid, I would go in the backyard and I would make swords and weapons and I would make axes for the dwarves and I'd make bows and arrows and I'd be in the backyard running around pretending to shoot orcs and goblins and all these things. And I mean, I stopped maybe when I was 17. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. <laughs> But seriously, no, I didn't, I didn't go that long. But what I remember is, is that I had this imagination that you can't imagine. Like, I had such an imagination. I even, I even would take, do y'all know what wood-burning kits are? You know, I would take wood-burning kits and I would, like, carve into my web. I mean, I was all in on this. And um, one thing I think about is, when we're children, it's pretty easy for us to have pretty big imaginations. And if you can't tell, that as we get older, our imaginations tend to become a little more bland. We don't really have that childlike imagination. And I think the same thing can be true for when we're children, we have a certain level of mystery and wonder at the world. And yet, as we get older and older, things that we once found incredibly mysterious and amazing or just wondrous just kind of lose some of their shine as we get older, as we become a little bit more calculated, a little bit more used to it. And I just have a few examples that um, y'all can probably think of, but um, I'm sure you can imagine the first time you were a child, growing up in Texas especially, where you saw snow. Do any of y'all remember the first time you remember seeing snow? And just, and I remember it was, it was the most incredible thing I had ever experienced before. It was magical. Now go ask someone that's like from, I don't know, uptown New York, that's 40 years old and say, what do you think of snow? They're like, oh man, snow, get that out of here. That's, that's the worst, I hate all the snow. But still for my mom, my mom, she says, you know, being from Texas, she's like, oh, I wish it just snowed once a year, but you know, maybe for a day, and then I, you know, I'm ready for it to go away. 
But, you know, there's still, even for some of us, this a certain sense of how incredible it is to see, like, flakes of ice falling from the ground and to cover the ground. It's, it's this amazing, wondrous thing. Or can any of y'all think of the first time you saw mountains? Some of you may have grown up not in Texas. Um, I know there's some mountains in Texas, but um, I remember the first time I saw a mountain, it was unlike anything I could have ever comprehended. Or seeing the ocean for the first time. And when you're a child, it just blows your mind with mystery and wonder. But then as you get older, you get told, well, oh, you know, the, let me explain to you all these things that you once found incredible and amazing. And it's no longer, oh, well, look at snow. It's, oh, well, you know, that's precipitation that went up into the sky and froze because it's too cold and that's why it's snowing. You know, it, it loses some of its specialness. And so today, one of the things I want to talk about is I want to talk about how this can also happen sometimes for us when we read Scripture. We have a God who evokes, and we see it throughout the Old Testament, so much wonder and mystery that the people are constantly writing about who he is in awe of him. And we, when we spend our lives, like many of us have, growing up in church, some of you, you know, were born on a pew practically. And you can, you can hear some of the stories and some of the things, and it can lose some of its, its wonder and amazement. And I want us to try and think about that a little today. Um, in the Psalms, constantly, they're writing about the glory of God and how one of the things that the psalmist in Psalm 8 says that they just can't comprehend is the fact that the God, the God who does all these wonderful things, it says, is mindful of you and me. I can't comprehend that. That's a mystery to me. How many of you, whenever you have heard the story of Genesis and creation, you can go, oh yeah, you know, I can tell you what happens in Genesis. God created the heavens and the earth. You know, he separated the, the, the sky from the sea. And, and we can say it like we've heard it a million times. But I want you to think about that for a second. God of the universe created all the stars in the sky. There are trillions of scars, stars in the sky. And I, I looked it up just because I was trying to remember. I heard someone say this one time. Trillion is a number that we can't comprehend. You know, some of us can comprehend the word a million or a billion. But trillion, how long do you think it would take you to count to a trillion? By the way, I looked this up just to make sure I was right. How long do you think it would count, take to go one, two, three, four? What's, think in your head what your guess would be. It would take you 31,000 years to count to a trillion. That's how many stars there are in the sky. And yet we go outside and... And it's like, oh yeah, look at the stars. But some of us still have some moments where we look up and we live, thankfully we live away enough from the city where there's light pollution that we can have some pretty magical moments of looking up in the sky and thinking, God created that. Or how many of you have heard stories of how deep the ocean is? Like the depths of the ocean. That's, all these things are just things that are so incredible. And God is a God that is constantly a God of wonder and mystery of how he does what he does that we, we can't comprehend. And yet so often we come to church and we're like, oh yeah, I know God. You know, God, that guy. Uh, it's, I, I get how this all works. And, and, and I'm trying to remind us just how little we comprehend the mystery and wonder of who God is. And so today, if you want to turn in your Bibles, we're going to be reading from Luke 2. I believe that there are maybe none, uh, maybe a few, but probably no stories in the Bible that do as much to remind us of just how much we don't understand God, how mysterious He is, than the story of the fact that God decided to come and live among us in the form of a baby born in a manger. So let's read about it from Luke 2, 8 through 20. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. 
And they were terrified. I've said this before, but anytime in Scripture an angel or God shows up to someone, usually you are frightened because of the just majesty of all of it. And I just try and picture what this looked like. Try and think, what would it have been like for the glory of God to shine around you? You're in the middle of this field. It's pitch black. I mean, and, and we're talking back then, it is pitch black. You know, there are no lights and no light posts out there. It's completely dark except for the stars and the, the moon. And all of a sudden, this angel appears and, and all this glory surrounds them. And the angel said to them, do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of Bethlehem, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. By the way, the word Messiah means Savior, the, 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 one, the anointed one, the one who is promised to come. So the greatest announcement ever in the history of the world, who does it go to? Does it go to the king? Does it go to the president? Does it go to the most important officials ever? No, the announcement, the first announcement that we have of the greatest moment in human history, one of the greatest moments in human history, comes to poor shepherds out in the field to come to tell them that the Messiah has been born. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. So not only has the Messiah come, but... The way you're going to know if you found the Messiah is if you find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes. Suddenly a great company of, heavenly, of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven, and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. You know what they didn't do? Is they didn't go, oh, That's normal stuff. Uh, you know, some angels showed up, came and talked to us, you know, talked about God being born in a baby, you know, whatever, the, the, the same old usual stuff. No. Can you imagine, like, how many of them would have been like, did you see what I saw? Like, the, did, you, did you hear that, that uh, the, the Messiah has come? It would have been the most wondrous and mysterious and incredible thing they'd ever heard. Now, now wait, he said we need to go to the king, right? The Lord, right? So that must be in Jerusalem. No, he said it's in Bethlehem, which is like a podunk little town. You know, I don't know why he'd be in Bethlehem. Or, you know, actually, he said, he said it's a baby. There's, can any of you, if, if someone came to you, a non-Christian, and came up to you and said, why did Jesus come? Why did God come in a baby? If, you're lying to yourself if you'd say, oh, well, because this is why God wanted to do that. We, don't, we can't comprehend why God prophesied all along that a child would be born to us, why he would choose to do that. And yet, this is how God decided to come. It's a wondrous and mysterious thing. And by the way, what I want to tell you before I keep going is, I always try and take pride in my sermons on taking complex things and saying, let me explain to you what this is and what's going on. This sermon, I'm trying to do the opposite. This sermon, what I'm trying to do is take things that we've heard all so many times and to remind you, this is wondrous. This is mysterious. We cannot act like we can make this neat and tidy and put it in our little box and explain how this works. This is so much more than that. Where am I at? Where am I? Okay, so they've hurried off. The angel, when the angels had left uh, and gone, oh, yeah, when they had gone into heaven, they said, let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing. Man, they're already calling Jesus a thing. So how rude. No, I'm just kidding. Let's see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and they found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. When they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told to them about this child. They couldn't keep it in. 
It was the most incredible thing. They couldn't help but get the word out. Go tell it on the mountains, you know. Go tell it on the mountains, over the hills. And it's this, I got to go tell people that Jesus Christ is born. Um, and all who had heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned. They came back glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. And so the, the great mystery of Christmas time, the great mystery that we every year um, take a chance to remember Christ's birth is to say the fact that the God who created the universe, who came to rescue us from our sins, came as a child born in a manger. Not only that came as a child to a poor family, not only that came in a poor town, not only that was born in a stable where, as Steve Clifton put so well, where there would have been animal poop everywhere. The manger would not have been some clean, cute little wooden stall thing. It would have been a met. How many of you have livestock, right? I mean, looking over here, some of y'all have livestock. What is the stuff that you put your animal's food in? Is that clean and neat and pretty? It's a mess. It's disgusting. How many of you would go and, I'm going to lay my child down in that? No, but that's what they had. And, and this is the God of the universe we're talking about. He didn't come and say, hey, before I come to Bethlehem, y'all really got to clean this stall up, you know? Got to get these animals out of here. You, no, this is, he came to dwell among us, not as a king, but as this lowly child. And that is a wondrous, mysterious thing that we can't comprehend. How many of you know the word theology? You feel like you know what that word is? Um, theology just means the study of theos. Theos is Greek for God, the study of God. And uh, I had a professor, a theology professor in college, who used to always say, the study of theology is the pursuit of failure. Because if you're really studying theology, what people think you're doing is you're taking God, this mysterious, wondrous God, and you're trying to make him explainable and understandable and comprehensible. The true goal of theology is not that. The true goal of theology is to every day more and more realize just how little we comprehend who God is. Just how little we comprehend the mystery and majesty of who God is. Not to dumb him down, not to simplify him, but to constantly say, wow, I can't grasp this love, this mercy, this grace, this justice, this creator, and all I'm left with is to wonder and be amazed and to worship and to glorify him. And that's where the shepherds found themselves. They didn't come away with, okay, Mary, can you tell us why this is going on? What they did is they praised and they worshiped God. Um, this is a quote from Eugene Peterson that I really like about theology. I don't know that font. That might be a little too small. I'm sorry. Um, I'll make it uh, bigger next time. But how we fail to understand theology when we think the task of theology is to solve the mystery of God, to drag it down to the flat, ordinary wisdom of human experience and reason. Theology's sole job, theology's sole office, is to preserve the miracle as miracle, to comprehend, to defend, and glorify God's mystery precisely as mystery. And so this is what Diedrich Bonhoeffer says in his book. That is the unrecognized mystery of the world, Jesus Christ. That is Jesus of Nazareth, the carpenter, was himself the Lord of glory. That was the mystery of God. It was a mystery because God became poor, low, lowly, and weak out of love for humankind. Because God became a human being like us so that we would become divine. And because he came to us so that we could come to him. 
God is the one who becomes low for our sakes. This is the depth of deity. This is the depth of who God is, whom we worship as mystery and comprehend as mystery. And so my hope for this sermon is that in the next weeks leading up to when most of the world celebrates Jesus' birth, my hope is, is that you would not remember this as like, oh yeah, this is how Jesus' birth happened. This is, there were shepherds, there were uh, you know, all these different things, there was a star in the sky. My hope is, is that you are reminded of just how incredible it is, the fact, and you're reignited with wonder and mystery of the fact that the God of the universe decided to come and dwell among us in the child in the manger. There are two pieces, in my opinion, there are two pieces that argue and show the greatest display of God's mystery and wonder in all of human history. I've spent most of today talking about the first one. I've spent most of today talking about the fact that it is a mystery to us that God came in the form of a baby. Does anyone want to guess what the second, in my opinion, the greatest display of the mystery of God? When Jesus Christ decided to be God and to say, you know how I'm going to defeat sin and death in this world? You know how I'm going to overcome death? It's a mystery to all of us, but it wasn't by conquering, it wasn't by getting on his war horse, it was by going and walking the path to the cross. Is there a greater mystery? And if if someone says, like, can you explain to me how this works? How exactly did Jesus dying free us from our sins? And we can come up with all sorts of answers. Paul does a great job of coming up with some ways that help give us an idea, but Overall, it's a mystery to us. It's a wonder. But it's a wonder and a mystery that doesn't make us walk away confused. It's a wonder and a mystery that makes us want to bow and kneel before the fact that the God of the universe decided to save us from our sins, to give us life by dying. On Tuesday in this building, we are going to have a funeral for one of our faithful sisters in Christ. And we're going to try and explain to the world why we have hope. We're going to try and explain to the world why we think that death doesn't have the last answer. And you know what? It's going to be really mysterious and wondrous. And we're not going to have any clean-cut answers for it. But you know what we're going to have? We're going to have hope in the fact that this mystery we can't comprehend is that Jesus came and died so that this is not the end of the story. Amen? I believe that when we water this stuff down, that's the reason why... When I think of people saying, I don't know why I want to have a relationship with Jesus. I don't know why I want to be a part of that. It's because we've done such a terrible job of watering this down and trying to make it clean and easy for people. When really what we should be doing is saying, God is sovereign. God is Lord. He is incredible. He died for you. I can't comprehend it, but I can't imagine you not wanting that in your life. And so what I want to encourage you as this Christmas season goes on and you think about the mystery and wonder of God, don't try and explain it. Just try and glorify God. Just try and be in awe of who he is. If any of you have any prayer requests, I want to encourage you. Um, we're going to have elders standing at the doors. And if any of you would like to come and commit your life to Christ, um, I already know of one person who's planning on having a baptism today. And you can come and talk to me. And so let's stand and sing this song.